Ladies and gents, welcome to the Shroom Live podcast. This evening, we're going to be talking about kingfish, shore casting, shore jigging with High Life, High Nguyen. And he's specialized in this technique, fishing around the metropolitan Sydney areas, Sydney Harbour, Botany Bay, chasing, of course, kingfish, but your other pelagics as well. You can throw that into the mix, the salmon, the tailor, the tuna, maybe even jewies at times. So it's going to be a really exciting uh, talk with him today. He's going to be sharing a lot of his expertise and his tips. So without further ado, let's welcome him to the Shroom Live. Welcome. Hi. How are you going, mate? I'm going good. Thanks, Shroom. Good to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, Good to talk about shore jigging and shore casting as well. Yeah, excited. That's great. It's something that I want to delve into in a lot of detail in this podcast here because I know a lot of the people at home, some people may have tried shore jigging, shore casting, a bit of a different sort of thing. I think it's a term that hasn't quite caught on yet, so I'm interested to explore a little more on that. But let's just talk a little bit about you know, who you are as a person and your fishing journey as such. Let's just get a brief introduction so that the guests or so that the rather the audience can understand, you know, who you are as a guest tonight. Yeah, so I've been fishing for majority of my life Um, since I was a kid, um, going every weekend out to the beach, Botany Bay, uh, Sydney Harbour, um, and we would catch anything from catfish in between the the break wall rocks to, you know, live baiting for kingfish. For for dewfish off the beach, um, yeah. So I've I've fished most of my life, and I've always had an interest in the, the sea and the ocean. Um, yeah, and just recently, I think uh, so. I've been fish primarily bait fisherman for most of my my life, uh, up until about seven years ago when I discovered lure fishing. Um, I was actually fishing uh, along one of the wharves, and I, I noticed. Uh, a couple of old Japanese men throwing out lures um, and jigging them all the way back to shore. And I thought it was quite strange at first. And I was there live baiting for kingfish. And um, they actually happened to outfish me. They actually caught uh, way more kingfish than I did. Uh, And I caught absolutely no kingfish on the live bait, on the expensive live bait, expensive gear that I've got, live baiting. (laughs) Um, So you can imagine I walk (laughs) over to these Japanese men and I asked them, like, how are you guys doing this? Like, what are you using? So, and so they, they told me it's a technique called shore jigging where you throw out these metal lures um, and you, you jig them back right. to shore. And apparently kingfish love this. So um, ever since then, I did a lot of research, asked them a bit more about it, learned from a lot of different people as well as going to the tackle store, asking people about the technique as well. Um, and from, from that point on, I, I've been hooked as you can say, you know. Right. So you basically did what a lot of people do and that's go up to some randoms and say, you caught anything, mate, and then have a look <laughs> in the bucket and then you saw all these <laughs> big kingfish and you're like, oh, geez, how'd you, how, did he, how did these guys get them? That, that's it. That's <laughs> it, mate. <laughs> yeah, just like asking random people. <laughs> um, like the story there that you presented is so common across most anglers that have become complete addicts these days and you got you know you pretty much you start off with your bait fishing you love being outdoors you love hitting the water and you sort of fish in the area that you were introduced to for a quite a while and then you slowly just sort of 
you see something, you read about something, you hear something, and then before you know it, you're now heavily you're, you're heavily stuck into this new sort of niche in in terms of fishing, and it's just captured your imagination. And I guess like being Japanese anglers, I feel like they're just so far ahead of the game in some in some ways, like the gear that comes out of that place. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know for sure I love my Japanese. Yeah, exactly. I I love my Japanese rods, reels, lures, and apparel. Yeah, I, I see you sta- like standing there spinning with your exists <laughs> and your one thousand dollar rod. <laughs> so I know what you mean. <laughs> they're, they're not cheap stuff, but they're definitely very high quality stuff. Um, yeah, and I I myself have a lot of the expensive Japanese gear as well because you know they last forever and they they catch fish. So now further about this sort of answer here did you go back pretty much the next weekend or the next month with your jigs which are obviously now very similar to the ones that you saw and you started to try that sort of approach yeah yeah absolutely so after i've seen these japanese guys i did a lot of research on it came across a very famous um japanese shore jigger um who actually pioneered a a sub variation of shore jigging called um shore slow where he uses slow jigs instead of the fast-moving responsive jigs um, that move up and down the water column really quickly. He uses slow jigs where it will move up quickly on the on the recoil of the rod tip, but it will sink very slowly down, um, creating more of a flutter action um, that's more enticing to not only kingfish but other um, demersal species like your, your snapper, um, your flathead, and uh, your flounder. And all the other species as well. So, so from that technique, he was able to create a sub variation of shore jigging, where shore jigging was originally primarily to catch pelagic fish, primarily fish that are you know live in the the middle of the world column uh, and roam the ocean um, in the middle of the world column. They never really, they're not bottom feeders like your demersal species, like your flathead, your um, you know, your flounder, your snapper. Um, but with this sub variation of shore jigs, shore slow, you're able to catch those species as well as your you know, your normal pelagic fish. Um, yeah, and his name is Numata Palms Numata um, or Numata uh, Junichi. I think his 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 first name is called Junichi Numata. Right. Um, yeah, and he's a very very good and experienced angler. Um, if you catch him on YouTube, you can probably search it up on Palms Global YouTube channel. Um, you'll see him catch right. uh, massive kingfish from the shore, whereas using um, his own, he actually creates his own lures and he sells them in Australia um, and worldwide, of course. And a lot of people have caught a lot of kingfish, a lot of fish using his lures. Um, they have stick baits all the way down to your your normal fast-moving responsive jigs to all, all the way to your slow-moving um, slow jigs as well. Yeah. Right. So from so s- slow shore. Yeah. Yeah, carry on. Yes, yeah. So from his technique, I was able – and his videos and all the articles uh, that he's, he's had, um, and some of them were in Japanese, so it wasn't, it wasn't easy doing a lot of this research. Um, I had to like – translate yeah. a lot of the, the the Japanese text into English and like trying to comprehend what they're trying to say. Um, 
And through learning and doing my research and talking to uh, local tackle stores like ISO Fishing Lifestyle, the guys there, Gavin and Will, um, they were able to help me out with, with get, getting a first setup ready. And my first setup was actually, going back to your question, um, was actually a, um, a medium light setup with like a Daiwa over there rod paired with uh, a Certe right. LT 3000 reel. And with running PE uh, PE zero point eight at the time, so it was about ten pounds of, of line. Um, I was able to catch my first kingfish, um, not off the wharfs, but actually um, catch my first kingfish um, off the rocks uh, with that setup. Yeah, that's pretty insane because you just mentioned that you're using ten pound off the rocks. Yeah, that takes some skill. <laughs> and some some ignorance on my end as well because uh, I thought ten pounds was enough for the rocks, but <laughs> I I can assure you I got <laughs> many times and I've lost a lot of jigs at the start of my of my journey because of that. I didn't realize until later on you have to use like at minimum thirty pounds off the rocks because you're, you're going to get you're going to get dusted and smoked by kingfish. Um, but on the beach, right. that's a different story because there's less um, less structure. Yeah, now I was going to ask you halfway through about shore slow itself. So would you say that that's similar to shore jigging? I mean, you said that there is a difference, but in your approach as you fish Sydney, do you basically change the way that you fish or it's more of a fact where, look, uh, these jigs do this sort of action and you can get the best out of them working them just a little bit differently but more or less it's the same sort of you know terrain and approach yeah would you say that or would you say that it is actually very different it's different and it's also the same it's the same action and movement and that and variations of the the technique of jigging the rod tip um, and using that recoil the, of the rod tip to flick the jig back up and then letting the jig sink back down in its own natural um, natural flutter. Um, but it's also different in the respect that the jig itself moves very different compared to um, – so a slow jig moves very different compared to a, um, a, a fast-moving responsive jig. A fast-moving responsive jig would float like that or you know, swirl all the way yeah. down a slow jig will flutter slowly on the way down. So you would imagine you can use the same fast-moving technique of jigging up and down as you would with a fast-moving jig, with a slow jig. But yep. with a slow jig, you can also move it very slowly and let that flutter really work its, itself uh, and really get that bait, uh, that fish to, to be enticed by, by the lure. Um, so it's different, but it's also the same. Like the, the movement of jigging it is the same, but the movement of the jig is very different. Um, so a lot of people get confused between the two, you know, when to use it. I would say yep. use a slow jig is very, very good for when the fish aren't on the hot bite, you know. Um, but a fast-moving responsive jig um, is good when the fish are on, on the bite because it's moving very fast and kingfish love to a good chase but when the kingfish aren't in the move they might be feeling a little bit lethargic um or they're a bit full already and they're not not really enticed yeah. by by a chase that's when you use a slow jig because it stays in their face for a lot longer and it gives them a time the opportunity to decide you know all right look this is an easy meal i'll, I'll just you know smash it you know 
And that's that's basically the premise of, right. of the slow jig. It's to make the meal even easier than it was before compared to a fast-moving responsive jig. Yeah, it's sort of like the concept of being in the strike zone. You stay in the strike zone longer as the jig is falling and at a slower pace, that duration is greatly increased as opposed to a fast-sinking jig. Now, I just want to go back to the differences between the two styles of jigs. In my opinion, the fast jigs are shaped in a way that they sort of sink a little bit like a rock. They're trying to get depth pretty quickly and they try to slice through the water quickly as well on the jerk up. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the jerking up action in a second, but these slower jigs, they're definitely like a lot more wider. They they grip, uh, uh, that's not the right word, but they're not hydrodynamic. On the way that you lift them up or you let them flutter down, there's a lot of resistance against the water. So I, 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 def- I definitely agree with that. I've actually got a few jigs here, for example, um, for people to see as well. That's so, a good idea. We can have a look at some of these jigs. So this here is, I don't know if you can see that probably. This here is a, uh, a Palms the Smelt Lure. And it is, as you can see from the Palms shape, smelt. Yep, um, it's a very um, long, elongated shape. It's it's convex. It's not convex on one side. It's very uniform. You can see, um, and when it moves in the water, you'll see it jig up, and then it's it falls back down very quickly, and it will be up and down, up and down, up and down very quickly, and that's a sort of fast moving, responsive jig. Whereas I'll bring up. The slow jig, if I can grab it without getting without hooking myself, <laughs> um, slow jig <laughs> on on the on the I don't know left or right side what your views are saying, um, but the gold one um, you can see it's convex. So one side is flatter than the, the other side, and it's not uniform at all. Um, and it's actually so when it falls instead of up and down, up and down. That's what a fast-moving jig does. A slow jig goes up and then it goes, flutters down slowly. And it might not be this shape because yeah. a lot of different slow jigs have different shapes and they flutter differently on the way down. But it is a very slow um, strip down. And you can see also the slow jig is a lot wider than the, the fast um, responsive jig. And that aids in the, the water resistance and for the jig to, to flutter uh, a bit more than the, um, you know, the fast moving responsive jig. Yeah. Also with the slow jig there, they do that little, it's like a side to side wobble of the blade. I don't, I mean, I don't know how to describe that part of the lure itself, but not only does it do that action that you said, it sort of flutters along its axis yeah. down. And obviously that can be very slow. And if you just, do you thumb the line at all? Like slow down the line and sort of make it fall vertical. You can get through and penetrate yeah. through to the depths a bit quicker that way. Yeah. So sometimes I like to, if you cast out, um, so I've got my rod here as well. So if you cast out and uh, you open up the bale and you cast out and you close the bale straight away, what would happen is the jig will, will uh, it won't fall vertically down or start actually falling towards you. So say if the jig's landed in the water here, it won't fall vertically down like that. It will fall diagonally down towards you. If you close the bale and you right. line in the, the slack line, it will do that. But if you cast it out, 
and you don't close the bow arm straight away and you just have a little bit of tension on the line just so that you're, you're controlling how much line's coming out um, but not you know, letting a bird's nest come out of your spool straight away once it's hit the water. You're controlling the, the actual flutter of the, the jig down. So you, instead of you know, fluttering towards you, it's now free spooling, fluttering um, vertically down and hitting exactly that water column that you want it to land on rather than, um, yeah, landing towards you. Uh, and you can do that. And that would actually, sometimes when I do that, um, I'm able to cover more ground than I would when I close the bow arm straight away. Um, when I close right. the bow arm straight away, that's when I'm expecting a hit on the drop because as because when it's closed, the tension of the line is a lot higher and you'll feel a hit come and you can actually strike yeah. on the fish. But if you free spool, you won't you won't feel that and you won't be able to strike. You might, yeah, you will feel the when the fish strikes it, but you won't feel you won't be able to strike on the the hit and hook up um, if it's free free spooling. Um, so it's up to you where what you want to do. It, when it's a, when it's the the conditions are the fish aren't on the bite and you've had a couple casts already and uh, you haven't had a bite on the drop yet, I would then start you know, free spooling when I I cast out just so that I can cover as much ground as possible um, when I jig the, the jig back up and I'm not losing. So when it flutters on the diagonal line, you can see that all this area here, you're not cu- covering. But if it fl- flutters on the vertical down, then you've got this area to work along here. So you can jig it back up, let it float back down, jig it back up, let it float back down. Yeah. So if you're expecting the bite on the actual jig up, um, I would have the the uh, the bail arm close, but if you're expecting the bite, uh, yep. sorry, when you're expecting the bite on the on the on the way up, I would have the bail arm open so that it flutters vertically down, and that will allow you to cover yep. more of the more volume of the water column. But if you're yep. expecting the bite on the way down as it's fluttering, I would close the bail arm so that you can feel and you can strike when when the fish actually hits the lure on the way down. So that's my, my one of my tips I yeah, that, give people. No, that's a good point there. I was going to say that you, if you're fishing off the rocks, I guess it's a little different fishing inside the river for brim where you might have the fish at your feet. You might have the fish at your feet when you're fishing off the rocks, but you can't get them out of the caves and the structure at your feet. You really want to get the biggest cast you can and work it and hook it out away from the structure. So you want distance in that case yeah absolutely and and that's the ben- one of the benefits of using a jig over you know a soft plastic or whatever yeah it's just the aerodynamic of it it's it's just solid metal <laughs> um it's gonna penetrate through yep. the air much easier and so it's going to be more aerodynamic and it's going to go further so you're able to cover a lot of casting um ground and you're going to be able to cast up uh i usually cast about 100 meters easily with a jig um, versus any other law. Um, yeah. yeah That's a lucky. monster cast. I mean, yeah. Two, what is it? Two swimming pools worth? Two, two Olympic swimming pools, is it? Yeah. <laughs> worth a yeah. distance. That's that's crazy. Especially if you're using um, a medium light setup yeah, because the line's so 10 thin. pound. If you're using 10 pound, 100 meters for sure. 10, 10 pound, pound for sure. Yeah. <laughs> If you're using P1.5, <laughs> I've cast 100 meters. I'm confident that I can cast about 100 meters with 
P1.5 versus like P4. P4, maybe get like, uh, maybe like get by 700 meters on P4. But uh, yeah, the thinner the line as well. That's why you also, I like to use Japanese line. Um, I know that some people argue that Japanese line isn't as strong as like the American lines or the Australian made lines. Um, There's some truth to that. Um, But the benefit of Japanese line is that the diameter is so thin it can penetrate through the air really easily. Um, and a lot of them have a coating yep. uh, on them to make it very smooth and su- subtle. So it casts through, so they move through the guides really easily and you're able to cast very far with uh, the Japanese thinner lines. Um, then, uh, then your normal like line, like a Berkeley line, for example. Uh, I've used Berkeley before and it's um, they're a good line for bait fishing, but for the purpose of shore jigging, not so great and the main reason because the diameter is so thick you're not able to cast that far um but if you're bait fishing right you don't need to cast that far you just need to cast where the fish are you know and the, you, you let the, the scent of the bait lure the fish in <laughs> um you don't have that uh, <laughs> that benefit using a metal jig because what's fish can't really smell metallic metal can they or i, I can't imagine a no fish i mean the a bit of metal down their throat. <laughs> the, yeah, the smell of lead, painted yeah, exactly. lead, aluminium. I mean, I want you can get other materials, I guess, as well, like tungsten and all that. But none of these are soluble, so you can't you can't taste the molecules of your metal uh, per se. Yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, if they made a, a metal out of like pilchards or something, and it had the pilchard scent, then that would kill. That's a million dollar idea there. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one there. Maybe rub that metal jig on a on a pilchard or store them with a bag of pillies on the way to the fishing spot. Yeah. Get that scent. I mean it can't <laughs> it can't penetrate the meat, but it might give you a little bit more confidence and that first cast might have a little bit of that little bit of that smell still. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now about the concept of the tip recoil. You mentioned about the tip recoil. Now, I know a lot of these shore jigging and shore casting. I mean, we haven't really talked about shore casting yet. We've talked about shore jigging and shore slow, I think it was. That requires, I mean, not not that it requires this, but because it's a Japanese technique, the Japanese market makes rods for this specific purpose. And a lot of them have that I mean, I'm sure we're going to be talking about gear a little bit later, you know, just in and, in and about this discussion here. But you're looking at like 8-foot to 12-foot rods, somewhere in between, which you'll get into later. But they've got that really springy sort of long tip section, which you call the recoil of the tip. Could you explain a little bit about that? So uh, a typical shore jigging rod is about 10-foot long. Um it will be very strong in the butt section. And I'll show you the butt section. So it'll be very strong in the butt section here. So that's not moving, really, not moving at all. And that's to, to turn the fish in case it gets too close to, to the rocks, to the ledge underneath you where there's a lot of structure. It can bust you off. Um, and also it helps in aiding lifting yep. the fish up and uh, onto the and landing the fish. Um, in the midsection, I've got a midsection here, there's a little bit more give. There's a little bit more flexibility. Like I can feel it, you know, bending a little bit. 
but that's still very strong and that's again to aid in fighting the fish preventing it from reefing you and also lifting the fish up but in the in the tip section and i've got the tip section here as well so luckily i've got a three foot uh three piece rod so i can show you each of the this pieces individually yeah so these are basically usually three piece rods because of the no the no way so, they, i mean the way you've explained yeah. it so usually they're two 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 uh two piece rods i just happen to own a three piece because I, I like you know the the easeability of traveling with it especially climbing down um to get right. to hard to get rock ledges that i normally fish out as well it's just lighter easier um more compact so you know it's not poking me anywhere when i'm i've got it on my back um but the purpose of explaining it to your viewers um this i, I just happened to have a you know three-piece rod that i use for traveling and stuff to show but normally a short jigging rod is a two-piece rod um but yeah, yeah. but so the, the three-piece the third part of the the rod is the the tip and you can see the tip is very flexible like very flexible and that's to help in recalling yeah i can up. see that it's still quite strong but it's got that bend that's yeah. different to the other sections yeah and the bend will help flick the so i don't know if you can see that on camera but it will help flick the jig back up and the the more the more recall it has the quicker the jig is going to yep responsibly get flicked back up and also it aids in a little bit of flicking the the, the jig out as well with the casting distance and so a sensitive flexible yep. tip like this is important for a shore jigging rod just so that you can properly maneuver the jig up and down the water column without too much effort um, and and most of that effort is due to the the natural recoil of the rod tip flicking that jig back up right yeah, that's very interesting because a lot of the shorter rods, not made for shore jigging, of course, but just lure rods in general, if you fish them, you can get your lifts and hops quickly and you don't have to rely on the tip to basically put that final action into the lure. But because these rods are so long, I'm starting to see that you sort of lift a rod and the flicking of the lure is a bit delayed until that transmission of bend goes to the tip and yeah. then the tip finishes it and yeah. you get that nice consistent action. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So, and, and you can imagine... Um, yeah, that so, must be... Yeah, so you can imagine when you're holding the rod... Yeah, carry you're, on. You're jigging it like this. You're going to... Yep. A lot of the, the, um, the action... Is not from you jigging it. A lot of the action is just the, the tip of the rod flicking it, and all you're doing is is that motion up and down, up and down. And the the more sensitive the rod tip is, and more responsive the rod tip is, it's going to aid in you using less effort to flick that jig back up because there's a lot of water resistance between a metal <laughs> and the ocean. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, it's yep. a lot of work <laughs> flicking it back up. But if you have a sensitive rod tip, you just one flick, rod tip flicks it back up, that's it, you know, and then you let it flood it back down. Let's actually put that back under your arm. So you're, you're a left-hand wind, right-hand sort of action imparter. Yeah. yeah Let's so, just go through a little bit about just quick techniques since, since we're here with the combos. Yeah. So the technique I, I like to use is I like to have under my armpit and I, have, I like to have the rod tip very high up like that, maybe about... 45 degree angle 
or maybe sometimes a little bit high yep. if there's a lot of structure. Um, and I'm just keeping it high, like about 45 degrees and flicking it all the way to about maybe 20 degrees up in the air vertically. And I'm, as I'm, I'm flicking as well, I'm turning the, the, um, uh, the, what's it called? The retrieving the handle, the handle. Yeah. The retrieving handle. So I'm, as I'm turning one, one flick equals one turn. And that's the standard jigging method. One tip flick. And then you can also do half turn. So instead of turning the whole way, like you would, you know, with a fast response, responsive jig, you can also slow yeah. the action down by doing a half turn, flick, half turn, flick, half turn, flick. And yeah. And so yeah. it's like a half turn and it's not a full turn. And then you can also break it down even slower. So for a slow jig, I would recommend doing this. There's a quarter turn. So you can go move a little jig, move a little jig, and it's a quarter turn um, jerk. I think they call it quarter turn jerk, half jerk, full jerk. But what what right. that would happen is that when you quarter turn, what would happen is that the jig basically, um, if you do a quarter turn, there's a lot more slack in the line. So when you pull up, there's less force pulling the jig up. So the jig would, so you can imagine the jig, if you do a full turn, the jig is going to go all the way up and flutter all the way down. Right. If you do a quarter turn, the jig is just going to go up and then down, up and then down, up and then down, up and then down like that. So it's not going to go all the way up. I like through that. the water column, it's going to just do a little motion, similar to how you you use soft plastics, Shroom. Um, not not that different. That's right. Yeah. yeah. When you do those little micro, I see you doing the little micro uh, flicks of the wrist. It, that's a quarter turn jigging. Actually. Yeah, it makes sense. You're using slower jigs. You don't want to be basically pulling at the speed of sound through the water. Yeah. Uh, the slow jigs, you want to move it slow. It's going to flutter down slowly. It, you could impart a little bit more energy into the jig, make a bit faster, but you don't want to blow it out of the water, so to speak, yeah. down in the depths there because that's the reason why you're using a slow jig technique. But if you're using a, you know, one of them faster jigs, all for it, you've got your half and you've got your full turn. Yeah, exactly. And uh, And you can put that, up and down through the energy column, uh, through the energy, through the water column, and you might just trigger a bite. Yeah, that's exactly it. And those are the main movements I do. Sometimes I do like a full, um, a full lift, and then I'll wind yep. in all the slack, and then all the way, and then I'll lower the rod tip actually down towards maybe a horizontal level, and then I'll again up. I'll just do one jerk up. I won't even turn the handle. I do one turn up, one jig up, yep. one jerk up, and then I move. As I'm moving the rod tip that back down, I'm taking all the slack line that's left over, and that's called um, a, a slow jerk, and that creates an even different action as well. So, you when you when you're shore jigging, you want to do as many different techniques, different actions as you can. And you want to, and that's going to, with different rhythms as well. Sometimes you might be doing that rhythm and then other times you might be doing a slower rhythm and sometimes you might be just doing that full on jerk and then winding all the slack down. And the jig is going to move very different depending on on what action you're implying. And so that slow one, the slow full on jerk and then taking the retrieve, 
what's going to happen is going to jerk all the way up and then it's going to flutter all the way down and it's going to flutter all the way down until it almost hits the bottom and then I'm going to do the full jerk again and it's going to go all the way back up and same thing. And it's instead of going up, 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 flutter, 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 it's going to go up, flutter, 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 all the way down. Nice. Yeah. What would you say is the standard technique that you employ, like your bread and butter? Like if you just went to a spot, you're just going to have a quick cast. Yeah. You have a fast jig on. You've got your full, your half and your quarter and obviously that lifting one as well. Uh, my stand would be the half turn um, every time I jig when I get there. The half turn I feel is like good baseline to see where the fish are at. And if I get a bite on the on the half – uh, or a, a hit or a follow on the half um, and I see that the fish are actively yep. engaged and they're excited to, to, for the chase, then I start speeding it up a bit more. But if, uh, I, if right. I get no hits at all, nothing at all, then I um, I slow it down and I do those quarter turns or that one singular jerk and then it sink all the way down. Yeah, I find maybe the half turn is also the most therapeutic if you could really call it that, it's like that one technique where you just naturally gravitate towards. It's just good to just mindlessly <laughs> go up, go down, go up, go down. Yeah, absolutely. It's very therapeutic. A long day after work, you want to cast it out and you just don't want to think sometimes and you just work it. That's right. It keeps your hand busy. That's what I always say when you're fishing <laughs> lures. You got a technique that keeps it busy. You're not pausing too much. It's It can be frustrating having the slowest technique fishing plastics keep it moving. It's, it's nice and it's therapeutic. You're actually actively doing something to the lure. And if you get a hit, you feel like you've made all the difference. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I always say there's nothing like casting a metal jig out fire and using pretty much your whole body to cast it, the, the jig out and, uh, and watching it fly a hundred meters <laughs> and land in the water a hundred meters from you. I mean, it's, you can't really do that with any other setup, I can imagine. Like, maybe like a no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. I actually, I can't. Maybe not like a all. long distance casting rod with one of those like Alvi reels. Maybe I don't know, but but I just yeah. imagine <laughs> one of those flying further casting competition like sort of techniques where they bring the rod back, forward, side, and then three sixty, and then suddenly it launches after like five whips. Yeah. You know, something yeah. like that. I mean, you get more distance with that, but <laughs> with a single just launch over your shoulder, I don't think you can beat a metal. Yeah. And most of the shore jigging rods are designed so that you use less effort to actually cast further. Yeah. Let's uh, quickly just mention some of these lures just really briefly because I want to get into some shore casting. Yeah. But what are some example jigs that you know, would work pretty well in this sort of situation with the techniques you've described and the gear. Oh, for short casting or short jigging? Let's go through all of them, the the whole gamut of what we've just talked about, just real briefly. So when I get to a ledge um, or, you know, oh, any body of water that's deep enough to hold pelagic fish that we're after with this tech, with short casting, short jigging, um, I always start off using a short casting lure. So... The difference in a shore casting, I'll just go through that really quickly, and shore jigging is, by the name, you're using a jig um, from the shore, and shore casting is you're casting yep. a, a lure. So it's not a jig, it's actually a hard body. Um, 
from the shore and you're casting it out far and you just retrieve it uh, in the the specified you know technique that uh, the law tells you to to do some laws require a full on sweep of the rod um so other laws just you basically just wind in um and when other laws you yep. you jerk it up once or twice but hard bodies for sure casting is designed so that you don't have to blow out your shoulder jigging all day so you can imagine me standing here jigging all day and i'm working with between 40 to you know 100 gram lures sometimes um 100 gram jigs and sometimes 120 150 gram jigs if the water's really deep um and so you can imagine yep. getting really tired and sometimes i do get really tired my shoulder gets really tired from shore jigging um and i know people that I've fished with as well have uh, got rotator cuff injuries from shore jigging um really heavy lures <laughs> that doesn't sound good yeah so the japanese obviously have figured this out <laughs> and so they came up with a technique yeah. called shore shore casting and you're shore casting hard body lures like this one so this is a maria um loaded uh, uh floating stick bait so they're basically yes yeah, they're stick baits um <clears throat> so what you when i get to a ledge i normally use to start out in the morning a float so i test out the surface with a floating stick bait like this because <clears throat> you don't know if yep. the fish are, are keen enough to hit on the surface when you get there um so it's, it's always worthwhile to test out the surface because that's the easier and that's the more exciting bite that you're going to get watching a fish come out of the water and doing a big sploosh big splash and taking a, a top water lure yeah <laughs> i think that's way more exciting than getting hit and then hooking up just watching the fish come out of the water and sometimes they launch out of the water just to get the lure and you see the whole body in the lure and you're just in the air and you're just like wow and also it's that time of the day where they will hit surface it's not a big window we're talking about here like the jigs they'll hit it even when the sun's up but the surface bite for many species it's not it's not there once that light just comes up and starts peaking so if you want that bite you got to do it early and surfaces like you said it's got a good payoff being a, a technique that you still have all the fun hooking up but it's that visual aspect that you won't get uh, with a metal jig down deep so that's you know and, and plus you know lure fishing is a sport so we're trying to get the most out of our sport and lure fishing is just another avenue uh, to do so yeah absolutely and Lure fishing is about finding the fish yourself, not the fish coming to you as opposed to bait fishing because you've got that scent. Um, when you throw out you know, a pilly, <clears throat> that's creating a lot of scent in the water column to track fish. Lure fishing, you just all the, the what's going to lure the fish in is you making a puppet show of your, of your lure, right? <clears throat> so you, you, the angler, you have to find the fish by casting where you think the fish are going to be. And you as the angler have to impart the right technique, the right action on your lure to actually convince and trick the fish to bite. Um, and just going back on the That's true. the reason why I'm using a topwater lure, exactly it. I want to find the fish and I want to find see if the fish are on the surface and biting the surface. So I always start out with a topwater lure in the morning at the beginning of my session 
And um, and the lure, when I yep. cast it out, it will sit vertically like this underneath the, the water. So it will sit like that. Right. And <clears throat> and when I retrieve it, what will happen was the head will dip down. And this is a floating stick bait. So it floats like that and with the bottom you know, underwater. And when I retrieve the line, it dives underneath the water and it swims in an S shape. It creates a very enticing swim. Right. And then once when it's done with the swim, it'll come back to the same original position with the head up. And I just repeat that action over and over again and it creates more of like a uh, injured bait fish unable to swim properly. And a, it it makes it very enticing meal for predators like kingfish to come along and, and smash it in the morning. <clears throat> and sometimes it also yeah, looks like... Yeah, like a lot of dying... Yeah, sorry, sure. Yeah. yeah, carry on. Yeah, and sometimes it also looks like a feeding <clears throat> like fish as well, feeding on other fish, and that gets kingfish even more fired up because they're like, wow, there must be so much food in the water right there. I'm just going to smash that that one fish that's that's feeding on everything, and then I might get extra meals out of it as well. And uh, it convinces the fish yep. to, to change its mood from being neutral to excited, keen for the bite. Yeah, that's... That's interesting because poppers do a lot of that where that little splash and sound is what people believe to be sort of the signs of a fish feeding on some other smaller prey. And who hasn't seen the time when they've hooked up to a fish and they've had its mate following it, following that lure, following that hooked fish. And that's that concept of, I guess, FOMO. You, 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 they don't want to miss out. If there's a feed going on, they they want a piece of that. I think the the kingies are really inquisitive. They'll come in and they'll have a look, and oh for sure, they're just uh, triggered by action. Yeah, and you'll see kingies try to steal food right out of the mouths of other fish. <clears throat> there's, there's many of times where I've hooked onto a kingfish, and as I'm retrieving him close to shore, his mate is following right behind, and he's he's trying to attack the lure too. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can see them chasing other fish down just to steal the fish right out, uh, the the food right out of the other fish's mouth. And it's it's absolutely, yeah, amazing to see too. Yeah, it's like a vicious circle of life, as I always say, out there on the ocean. Dog eat dog world out there. All these fish just, it's like a battle royale at times. You got to get your lure in there to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Survival fitness. <laughs> <laughs> now, have we talked about the way to impart that action with the with the gear? Like, I'm assuming you use a sweeping motion because yeah. So with using the uh, surface lures with the big lures, yeah. Carry on. Yeah. So with the top water lure, <clears throat> um, I'm basically sweeping the the rod diagonally or diagonally down or along the ledge, like yep. that motion sweeping motion and I'm as I'm sweeping I'm winding in the slack line as well so and I'm continually winding yep. the the handle as I'm as I'm moving the, the action of the rod down over and over again <clears throat> and I'll they'll make the the lure do the the uh the action in the water swim swim head back up swim swim head back up uh, and that's pretty much how you work ninety percent of stick baits <laughs> is that same that same yeah. action, the sweeping action, and you can see that it's a lot less tiring than jigging vertically all the time, um, and that's the 
the main benefit I see to using a stick bait over a, a jig. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can see it's definitely using different muscles. You're sort of recruiting a bit more of your hip as well in this case and lateral sideways turning as opposed to, like you said, people getting rotator cuff injuries and shoulder you know, discomfort because of that vertical lifting. Yeah, you're using from more the muscle groups. Technique. Yeah, you're using more muscle groups. So you're 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 tiring. You're not just putting that emphasis just on your shoulder and your arms. Um, you're using your whole body to to sweep it. So it's a lot more easier, less taxing on your body when there's more muscles helping each other out, as opposed to just one muscle, one joint doing all the work. Yeah, that's good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about something a little different now and talk about sorts of areas that one could hit uh, for, with this sort of technique. So in terms of structure, let's talk about the structure that you could find out in the systems in, you know, Sydney Harbour, for example. Yeah, so I would I would say um, different classes of, of gear that you're using will cover different areas that you're, you're going to be fishing in. So if you're using something that's medium, uh, medium light, so ranging from, um, and we'll talk more about the, the the gear and stuff later. Um, so medium light setup, I'll just say that, and then we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Yep. But if you're using medium light setup, that's more towards your beach fishing, shore jigging, <clears throat> shore casting, you know, because <clears throat> there's no structure that for you to be afraid of. Uh, you can just let the fish run and enjoy the fight, and then eventually the fish will tire out and you just pull them in onto the beach. Um, <clears throat> but if you're rock fishing and you're fishing where you think there's going to be structure where the fish can bust you off like maybe it might be along the the shoreline of sydney harbour and there might be a whole bunch of oyster beds underneath or or a couple rocks couple weed um underneath then you're going to be wanting to use the medium setup and that's going to help you you know turn the fish away from the structure and um and let the fish tire itself out and then land the fish and even lift the fish up as well with your medium um, setup. And with yep. that medium setup, then you go up to your higher end, which is like the heavy setup. And there's also extra, extra heavy setup later on. But in New South Wales, I don't think anyone will, be, will need that extra, extra heavy setup. And that's more towards your GT fishing if you're going to Queensland or whatever. But um I normally stick yep. between the, the three classes, your medium light, your medium, and then your um, your heavy setup, which is running, you know, P4 and 5. Um, and that's going to help you lift, catch, catch a, like a 20 kilo plus kingfish, as for example. Um, and that's going to help you able to not only turn the fish's head when it's diving towards structure, but also potentially lifting the fish up onto the ledge um, that and the fish would be weighing somewhere around about twenty kilos or more or more as well, um, and you're using that's a very a dream. heavy rod. Yeah, that's the dream, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what every <laughs> every shore jigger, every shore caster is angling for. You know, catching that meter kingy. <laughs> yep. Now, just going back to those uh, location sort of habitats. So on the beach, you're looking for you know the the usual stuff you're looking for gutters for example yeah you know using that sort of technique and or fishing adjacent to areas of beaching beaches leading into rocks i think that's another pretty good area yeah so if you're going taking this technique off to the beach um i actually 
took this technique to Jarvis Bay um, a couple months right. ago. Um, and I basically cast it at, at gutters and I also um, followed the the bait, uh, the bait ball around as well. So you, sometimes when you're at the beach, you can see seagulls diving at the water and that's because there's a congregation yep. of bait. Bait then also potentially a congregation of like pelagic fish around the bait, you know, waiting for one to to be an easy meal to leave the the flock, and so they can smash it and and eat it and have an easy meal out of it. Um, and so I followed the seagulls around and casted um, you know, behind where the seagulls are uh, uh, diving under, um, and I was able to catch a numerous amount of tail. Pretty much every cast was a tailor. Um, through that method and I've also yep. taken it to you know, places like um, you know your normal beaches like your norm like your manly beach your Cronulla beach um, and cast it at gutters and jigging it back for you know for salmon and yep. for tailor as well and that works there as well but you want to look for areas where there's deep water is, is the takeaway from that <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> about to say. So off off the rocks, definitely um, deep water would be the number one sort of thing you're looking for. You you don't want to be fishing in about you know a meter of water that yeah. extends out far. You want to be casting into some serious depth and current. Yeah, so you want as much time for your jig to flutter down as possible. And the deeper, the better, because that puts your jig, your lure, in the face of the fish for much longer as well and um that's where you're going to find kingfish then they're, they're hardly ever going to be in um shallow water to hunt they're always hunting in the deeper water and that's their home you know that's their their place that's their domain they they live in, in, in you know, and breed in the deep water um and so if you can find somewhere that's between i'd say <clears throat> seven meters between seven to 20 meters that's where i'd i'd be casting my lures all the time um, and I'd be using a medium setup between seven to twenty meters, um, and if it's yep. twenty meters or more, that's when you're going to find a really big fish. Uh, and I would be using my P4, right. my heavy setup, to to go and target those areas because because if you fish on a medium setup in a drop off that's twenty meters or more, you're most likely going to run across a big kingfish um, wanting to to bite your lure, and you're going to be smoked <laughs> if you don't have the right gear yeah yeah it, it, it makes sense like these sorts of areas kingfish prefer clean hard running water with a lot of depth with a lot of bait uh, they're very active fish they can hang in any sort of current they're, they're not afraid to just like be swimming all day really so yeah they love the current yeah they um they love anything that's uh, any, so if you ever get to a ledge and there's a huge congregation of bait and there's a, a good current, that's a very good sign for where for for kingfish, um, because the kingfish will lie, you know, just adjacent of the bait, just so that and they'll they'll stay there for a long time. They'll swim back and forth, um, just because they want it. They know exactly where the food source is, and whenever they're hungry, they'll just go in and grab the food source and come back and chill again. Um, and that's how they that's their main behavior you know they they're like sheep herders you know they, they herd all the you know <laughs> the herd of sheep the herd of bait yeah and then they just go in for an easy a meal every now and then it's like their refrigerator you know <laughs> they're they stockpile of food um yeah they're very smart predators would you say that 
once you sort of see them in the area and there's bait, that's obviously a good sign, like what you said, but they'll come back periodically throughout the next maybe couple of hours or maybe through the rest of the day. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you uh, if you see a kingfish run past, the chances are there's high chances are they're going to come back um, because they follow the bait ball. If you can bring the bait ball to you, the, your chances of catching a kingfish skyrockets. So that's why I think a yep. lot of people <clears throat> think, oh, I'm just going to show up to this ledge and I'm just going to throw some jigs in and catch kingfish for sure. You know, you, out of luck, yeah, definitely. Like You might get lucky. But if you want to reduce the chance of it just being luck, you're going to need burly. You're going to need to burly up hard because that's going to bring in the bait ball. That's going to bring in all the bait fish. And the, when the bait fish are there, the bigger fish are there to eat the bait fish, right? And so I'd suggest yeah. using, you know, pillies or mixing a burly um, – a, a bread bur- like some bread together with burly mix and some pillies and uh, maybe even some tuna oil um, and and throwing that in the water. And uh, I've even had success watching New Zealanders use um, ka- kawai, um, so Aussie salmon, you know, using that as a as yep. live bait. Watching them, I had the idea of using um, kawai as a, a natural sense of uh, um, natural burly by you know catching one. Then tying it to to a rope and then hanging it from the from the ledge with, with the rope and letting the waves naturally crash against the the fish and the rocks and that creates and that releases a lot of scent into the water um, f- to attract kingfish and um in in New Zealand you know they use kawai as live bait for kingfish and that's that's a uh, and they 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 chuck out maybe a fifty centimeter kawai and they'll bring in a one meter kingy and that just goes to show how much kingies love kawa how much they love Aussie salmon yeah yeah that's interesting a lot of people that fish lures don't necessarily use any sort of burly and you know it does stand to reason that you know you sort of got two competing effective ideas bait works but so does lures but it could sort of conflict between the two of them at certain situations but in this instance what you're doing is you're trying to bring the bait ball or keep it at your feet because if you're on the rocks you can't do what a lot of people do, which is if you're on the shores of a river, walk along it and cast. You're not that mobile once you're on the rocks. Like, yeah, mate, on a beach you're you're mobile, but on the rocks, it's you've got other issues such as your safety and navigating yourself around involves climbing as well and carrying a lot of gear at times. So you're sort of like glued to the one spot, and so when you are, it's a it's a waiting game, and you can improve your chances by getting that bait ball, like you said, like burling it up. And then eventually that's going to get the predators focusing on that ball in front of you. Cause it's going to be substantial. If you maintain a consistent supply of scent and food for the bait fish. Yeah, absolutely. So you, yeah, you need to burly up. Uh, a lot of people just overlook burling, but it's essential. If you're going to spend your time traveling to these hard to get to rock ledges, you know, <clears throat> and fishing there, you got to invest in some burley because that's going to pay dividends later in the day. Um, it, you know, the fish when the fish aren't biting, it's because there's nothing there for them to bite. If you create a scenario where there's heaps of food there for them to come, you know, chances are if you throw out any lure, they're going to bite, right? <clears throat> yeah. And uh, and as you said as well, like your 
when you get to a rock ledge, you're locked into that location. You can't really walk along the rock ledge unless it's a big lock rock ledge and there's not there's no other people fishing there besides you and your your friend fishing with you. Um, you can absolutely you know do what you know you do and just walk along the rock ledge and keep casting and try to find a fish. But if you you can't do that and it's a small rock ledge and your safety is involved um, and you've got you're battling swell, you're battling you know wind. Um, and natural conditions and you know, snags, you want to bring the fish to you. So burling is the best way to do it. Let's talk about actually doing this technique right now in the month of February, March and April and leading into winter. I mean, we're right now at the tail end of summer. So you'd say this is the sort of thing that you could do right, right now in the season, head out there to say a beach or a rock ledge and all the things that we discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, summer is the best time. It's it's kingfish season. It's a uh, pelagic season. The hotter the water temperature gets, the more pelagics come to to New South Wales, to you know, the city, to our shores, and you can see that already. Um, there's a lot of people catching bonita. My I myself, I've caught heaps of bonita recently as well, um, and the mac tunas have started arriving as well in Sydney, um, and I've seen people catch mac tunas um, in Sydney Harbour as well as Botany Bay. Uh, and off the rock platforms right. as well, along you know, the eastern suburbs and uh, the northern suburbs as well. Um, yeah, and so the, when you want to target you know, kingfish, you, you want warmer temperatures of the water. You know, and that's that's going to help bring in the bait and also you know, bigger fish. Would this be something that you also do during the winter or would you change your approach? Oh, absolutely. I do this you know, pretty much every every time I go fishing um, uh, or every week. And it doesn't matter if it's winter or, you know, or summer because winter, you might not get more bites. You might not catching, you not be, you might not, well, you probably won't be catching Benito because the water temperature is you know, quite low. It's quite cold. Benito don't like yep. cold temperatures, but you get, you do get odd kingfish that in winter um, don't mind the, the, the colder temperatures of the water. Um, as long as there's food there for them to, to target, they'll, they'll come biting. Um, but you won't get a lot of bites in the winter and the colder months. But you when but when you do, it's usually a bigger fish, bigger kingfish that has a lot of a, a lot of um, a lot of fat as well. I find that when you catch uh, those bigger kingfish during the winter, the colder months, they have a lot of fat stored in them. Uh, and and probably because right. to survive the, the colder temperatures and the the less food there is available to them uh, during those colder months as well. Sounds like blubber for whales. You know, they get that protection from the cold, and they can just go down to the the what is it, the Antarctica down down south. You know, Arctic Circle up north. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sort of <laughs> you know, everyone's got their winter. You know, winter fat. You know, <laughs> you know, summers for shredding. <laughs> and uh, winters for bulking and you know, fish are exactly the same as humans, I guess, in that respect. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> now, let's talk about conditions. Conditions, you know, morning, afternoon, night, tide, rainfall, barometer, moon phase, that all, you know, all that sort of stuff. How would you say that sort of impacts on the quality of fishing and what's the best condition to go head out on a day and do some jigging. So if you're targeting kingfish um, and you want to catch kingfish, 
uh, and increase your chances of catching kingfish. Um, I find other pelagic fish, it's not so you know, dependent on timing, but kingfish especially, they love the yep. mornings. You know, you want to wake up between, you know, you want to be on the ledge at, you know, at dawn, at first light, <clears throat> and you want to be casting out, whether it be shore, uh, shore casting, you know, uh, hard body stick baits um, or, you know, shore jigging metal lures. Um, you want to be on that ledge uh, first light and you want to be working that lure up until, you know, up until maybe uh, around, I find the baits, the bites stop around you know, 11 a.m. Um, when the sun is high, as the sun rises higher, the, le- the, the chance of catching a kingfish dramatically increases because I find they don't like when the sun is too high and directly on down into the water. You know, they get spooked by the sun yep. you know, um, and they tend to move to deeper waters because of that in, in the middle of the day. But as the sun drops down again, they they might come back um, and they might be keen for a bite again. Uh, but primarily kingfish, they love this, the morning and they love any time when there's a, a running of current. So I would fish uh, at high tide or incoming high tide. Uh, I find it's the best. And then second best is probably outgoing yep. tide, um, going to, to low tide. But anytime when there's a, a, a lot of current moving through, through the water, when you see the tide change, that's when kingfish are most active because it, it brings in the bait um, and then that bait brings in the kingfish. Um, so. Would you say you like the incoming near the top of the tide or you know after the turn of the low? I, I like incoming um, near the top of the tide because there's more water. And so there's more area for the for yep. fish to travel, you know. But if you you income you outgoing low, you know, um, then there's less water for fish to be in. So it's harder for you to catch, you know, more fish because there's less volume for the fish to actually be in. Why why would fish be in a shorter volume where they're all cramped together and they, you know, um, but inversely, um, if there there's a lot of bay in the water and it's low tide. Um, you might actually get a lot of bait being trapped there. And so the predators might be lurking out in a deeper water, but they might come in every now and then just yep. to swipe at the bait for an easy meal. Um, but the takeaway is, is as long as there's a movement of water, you'll see kingfish more active than when there is just the water being still um, and not on the low tide. Um, but if it's on the high tide, sometimes you, you don't even get any bites on the high, absolute high tide, the peak of the tide and the low of the tide. Um, I find that I don't get that many bites, but when there's a tide change and there's a movement of, of current and water, um, that's when the bites come back and that's when you see an increase in, in pelagic action. Out of, out of those factors that that I mentioned, we'll probably talk a few more uh, factors in a moment, but between going head-to-head with time of day, which is early morning versus the run-in high tide and then the start of the run-out, which situation would you prefer? So you have situation A with the early morning or the high tide. Situation B, which scenario is better if you can only pick one? So I would pick the early morning. So I think mornings, like the time of day is way more important than the, the tide. Um, just primarily because yep. kingfish, they love that 
when the light is low, it's like maybe, you know, from horizontal, the sun is horizontal to, you know, 45 degree. Uh, and so that's when like, it's like 11 a.m. at the highest maybe. And then, you know, from your dawn, first light, you know, 6 a.m., you know, onwards. They love the light. Light, they're very visual hunters. They, they're very dependent on seeing their prey before they eat their prey. Um, and so if it's too... It's, if there's too much light, it affects their, their vision. You know, they don't like that. They don't like too much light being in their eyeball and you know they're quite sensitive to it. But if it's just enough light where they can see the prey and they can hunt the prey easily, that's when you'll see kingfish come in. That's that's what they love. And so I would pick, even if it's a, you know, if, even if it's a very bad tide, <laughs> um, as long as it's morning, yeah. I'd pick that over any time, you know any other time excellent what about rainfall do you think that has a big effect off the rocks or off the beach actually quite funny a lot of times i catch kingfish is like right before a big storm big heavy rainfall hits um i don't know i think it's to do with the fact that they love to no they love to get as much food in as possible so just to prepare themselves for the rough conditions so they don't have to hunt during the rough conditions yep. um, and waste their energy. But yeah, I find that kingfish love anytime that's when it's not raining uh, or just before a big storm hits um, or just little light rain. They don't love heavy rain where the water's muddy. And again, they're vis- very visual hunters. When it, the water's very muddy, it's very hard for them to hunt. So they don't, they don't like that at all. They'll rather go back into the, the deeper waters of the ocean and hunt there instead where the water clarity is a lot better for them to actually see and, and, and for easy and it makes it easier for them to hunt and you know and have a feed and survive. Um, so I find Yeah, that's sort of clear thing, water better. Yeah. Keep keep going. Yeah, I was just saying I find clear water better. Um, where it's like not Oh right, yeah. Rain. I was just gonna basically add that you know with all the amount of guests that i've had talking about kingfish on all the podcasts definitely one of the main themes is a little bit of rain might be okay but once you start getting a lot of rain or the salinity drops which is a main like key here the salinity as you go further up the river i mean in this case we're talking about shore jigging shore casting uh obviously along the coast coastal areas we're talking beaches and off the rocks but you know, a lot of these other guests that come on, we talk all the way through the rivers and, you know, you you won't spend your time if you're realistically trying to catch kingfish fishing up near the freshwater, near the weirs, for example. Yeah, it's no. all down river where you've got clean water, clear water, maybe a little bit of turbidity is okay just temporarily if it's supposed to be a clear area and you've had a tiny bit of rainfall that might mix up the equation, bring on the bite in certain ways, but definitely a clean water fish like you said a visual predator yeah absolutely they they do not love the dirty water um they love that salinity the high salinity you know the the clean clear water now you've just said that you think that the start of the storm is a really good time so me thinks that that's a barometer point there the barometer the quickly falling barometer cuz what happens with weather weather patterns is as a storm's approaching, that's a low pressure trough or low pressure system. And so that can happen very quickly with the impending storm. And I guess that you, you sort of now believe, or at least you're suggesting that barometer has definitely an impact. And 
yeah, some a lot, a lot of people do say that that's you know an effect that they see as well. What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree with that. I don't I don't know too much about barometer and stuff like that and weather patterns or whatever, but I do know that when yeah when a, a storm's about to hit, uh, that's when I get a bite. I mean, it's actually proven that maybe two weeks ago when I went fishing, um, we I was there from dawn, you know, from first light on the ledge all the way until I left, which was like at 11 a.m. And we didn't see any kingfish, any pelagic action. No one caught anything for at least three hours. Yep. And right before the storm hit and it started raining was when one person next to me caught a bonito, another person off a ledge nearby caught a bonito as well. And then I caught a kingfish at the very last second. And after I released right. that, 30 minutes had passed and it started raining. And I, I was back by, by that point, I was packing up and leaving. And uh, and some of the guys, some of the boys that said that stayed, told me later on when I, I saw them again, it was that they, they caught nothing in the rain. <laughs> no action, no bites, yep. nothing at all. And everyone packed up and then you know, and left. And that just goes to show, like you said, maybe it is something to do with the barometer change. Maybe it is, uh, you know, something to do with... Uh, with storms coming that triggers a, uh, a bite from the kingfish. Yeah. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the gear. Maybe we'll try to make this part brief. We've had a really good discussion so far. Uh, the gear, obviously, I could talk forever, uh, and I'm sure you're a gear nut as well. <laughs> let's just go through some basic stuff. Someone that wanted to cast a few lures, cast a few jigs, what's the basic essentials that they need? So I've I've got I've got like um, three setups that I use mainly. One's for beach fishing, which is the lighter medium light setup. And one's for um, I don't want to pull up my roof finger, <laughs> but um, one's for um, <laughs> for uh, one's for um, medium heavy uh, medium heavy or medium setup we would call it, um, and that's for rock yeah. rock fishing, um, and that's your your lighter side of rock fishing. And then you've got your heavy setup, which is, um, you know, your P4, 5 and up. Yeah, and that's that's for your your bigger fish, 20 kilo plus fish um, that I use off the rocks only. I don't use that at the beach at all um, or in the harbour, but I do use my medium setup for pretty much the beach, the harbour um, and the rocks. So that's the, yep. my go-to setup. And that's the one that you saw me using earlier, and this is it. So, so I would suggest... Yep. For someone who wants to and like a a good all rounder um, setup that to shore jig with, unless you've got the money, you know, to go with three setups like I do, um, I would say go to the medium setup because that's going to let you catch you know a variety of species. Whether you want to go to the beach and cast off the beach, or you want to go to the rocks or in the harbour, the medium setup is is what going to is what going to ca- catch you you know more kingfish than any of the other setups in my opinion you know i do have a heavier setup but that's me because i want to go for that meter king you know you're not going going to get a ton of bites from smaller kingfish uh, um, that's on the heavy setup you you'll get heaps of bites on the light setup but you're going to be absolutely dusted if you're fishing on the light setup off the rocks but medium setup at least yeah you know you're going to get enough bites to get you onto a fish but you're also going to have that power to actually land a fish and not be busted off. 
Um, so I would go with a, yep. a medium setup like I have one here. So like a size 3000 reel and a 10 foot, let's say, yeah, I don't know, like a PE1 to PE3 rod. So for a medium setup, um, so that setup that I mentioned earlier, you, you said it's for my light setup, so 3000 uh, size reel with a, you know, a medium light, um, medium light rod. But for medium setup, I would go a medium heavy rod uh, with a five either five thousand reel size reel or a six thousand size reel, and both reels, all of the reels in a shore jigging um, setup, should all be um, in the H gear ratio, so the the high gear ratio. So that that just means high speed. Every, yep. Yeah, every turn of the handle, you're retrieving more, in more line than you would on a P or power gear ratio, um, you know, reel. And that just helps you retrieve more line in quicker and be and do a variety of different techniques to to work the jig or work the the stick base as well. And sometimes if you if you reel in really fast, it makes the the jig or the uh, the stick bait move really fast. And sometimes it, if they're really on the bite, they'll ch- they love chasing something that's ch- you know fleeing from them really quickly as opposed to something that's slower. You know. Um, but back to yeah. the the rod and the the gear setup. I would use a 5,000 size reel. And the one I have right here is a Certe SW 5,000 XH. So extra yep. high gear. Um, so I can work the lures a bit better. And the, the line I'm running on it is a P3 um, size. Uh, actually, I'm running a P2.5, but I would suggest running a P3 um, line on it. Yep. Um, if you're using a 6,000 size reel, P3 for, for sure. Um, but if you're using a 5,000 size reel, you can either run a P3 line or, or P2.5 line. Um, and that's connected via FG knot to, um, to a 60 pound leader. So, and that would be my bare minimum yep. for a medium setup is 60 pounds. You got to use 60 pounds because that's going to help you not be able to get busted off on the rocks by uh, a diving kingfish, you know, that's trying to, you know, escape um it's going to give you enough abrasion resistance to last that fight and it's also going to give you enough lift lifting power so you can grab the the leader and pull the fish up if you need to as well um yeah and the rod itself i would say uh is a medium heavy setup and i don't know if you can see um does it have a line rating on that rod yeah so the line um so die was a little bit different uh, on these shore jigging. Um, or set, PE, setup. if it has yeah. a PE rating. Yeah, so they don't run by you know, kilos um, on these type of rods. They run by PE rating. So the PE rating on this rod is 1.5 to 3. So 3 is the max and you know, 1.5 is the minimum. Yeah. Um, and so that, that would be the line rating. The jig weight, um, just reading from the rod, um, so the, this rod can cast between 20 gram jig and 80 gram jig max. So 20 minimum and 80 max. And a plug is a hard, you know, hard body stick bait. It can cast between 15 you know, grams or 60 gram stick bait um, at the high, high yeah. end. Yeah. And so the medium setup Excellent. is probably my, my suggestion for anyone that's looking to get into shore jing. You know, I wouldn't go... Uh, medium light or anything light setup uh, with for shore, shore jigging off you know the rocks because you're gonna get 
that's going to end in tears if you don't have enough experience. If you're a brand new beginner, go to medium, you know, medium heavy. Um, and if you if you're a keen angler and you want to invest more money into your fishing, go with a heavy setup. And uh, and good luck to you catching a, a meter kingy. <laughs> yeah. Let's um quickly mention a few lures on the way out of here. So just a few lures that someone could pick up that you reckon that will do the job. So I, I would say when you um when you fight, start your session, like I said originally, um, get yourself a top water lure. Uh, I I prefer diving stick baits, so floating stick baits over um, a popper because they're just more subtle. They still create a little disturbance in the top of the water, but they're not going to scare fish away. Yep. A popper is great when like fish are on the feed, they're on the bite. It mimics fishing feeding on the top of the water, like you said, Drew. Um, but yep. a diving stick bait just gives it more subtle. It's not, it's not going to scare all the fish away. It's going to attract fish more than a, a popper will. So a diving stick bait that dives underneath the water and to start your session off and then um and then if you're still tired you know from jigging in the previous session i would then move on to something like a sinking stick bait so something like an ocean's legacy to uh keeling for example or you know something that's just a slow sinking you can use a fast sinking one i like to use a fast sinking stick bait for um for my uh, deeper areas, but if you're a sh- more of a shallow area, so if it's anything 20 meters or more, fast sinking for sure. If it's seven to 20 meters, use a, a, a you know, slow sinking is, is good as well. It's just going to prevent you from getting snagged really easily. So what, what would happen, you cast this out, it'll land in the water and it'll start to shimmy on the way down like that. And whenever you, you do a sweep of the rod tip, like I showed earlier, it will then zigzag and swim. And then once it's when it stops swimming is when you you you're winding in the back the the, uh, the slack line, and then when you pull again, it'll swim again. But when you it's on the stop, it's going to be shimmering all the way down, attracting the bite. You know, giving a chance to catch up, uh, kingfish to catch up, and then decide yep. whether or not it will bite or not. And that's a that's a sinking stick bait. And um, for other than a sinking stick bait, if you're really lazy. And you you love your shore casting, and you you don't even want to do yep. the sweep. You don't even want to do uh, the you just jigging. Just want to wind action. in. You just want to wind in. Use this baby. So this is a Kabbalah. You, know, you this yep. is pretty much shore casting for dummies. You can't go wrong with this because this will catch fish. You no, know, no matter what. All you have to do is just cast it out as far as you can, you know, in different directions. Fan your cast. Always fan your cast, even if you're doing shore jigging or the other methods. Yeah. And you just whine in and this this bad boy will just, because it's got the lip, it will stay underneath the water uh, and it will dive underneath the water and swim. And it will just attract fish like you, you wouldn't believe. You know, it's your, you know, fishing cast, fishing for, for pelagics for dummies, this this, this lure. Um, and I would I would yeah, use nice. this lure when it's a, there's a lot of bus stops. It's, it's good. This lure is good for that. Or sometimes when you're lazy, you know, use this law and you're tired, use this law. It's, it's called a diving minnow, diving minnow. Uh, and this one's right. called a Kavala. Um, and so those, those are your stick baits for your shore casting. And, uh, yeah. 
and I, if you're if you want to do shore jigging, um, so I would say yeah, get your stick baits, get those three types: your floating stick bait, your sinking stick bait, and then your you know du- your diving minnow. And then when in the when so that's in the morning. I like to use you know, hard body lures in the morning um, from you know, do- yep. first light dawn until maybe around. 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. And then that's when I'm going to switch to the jigs. Yep. And uh, I like to start with a fast-moving jig, um, like your uh, – your, oh, let me grab one. Like your Jigoro, um, your Palms the Jigoro yep. jig, like this one. Palms Jigoro. Yeah, and it's just literally – it's got the assist, double assist hook, and that's it. And you just cast this one out and you're doing that, you know, that really quick jigging action. That's the lure that I would go with when you, you think the fish are Perfect. on the hot bite. Um, and then on the uh, on the low end, when the bites, you don't think the, the bites are very hot right now, I would then s- switch to your, you know, your slow, your slow jig, like the palms slow black. Palms low bat, and you're yep. working the jig slower, a slower pace to to track that bite, and it's going to you know, give you more time in the water column um, to to not only catch kingfish, but you can also catch a variety of other species, even snapper. I've caught snapper with this jig um, off the rocks. And then uh, your last your your last jig type jig that I would use is. Uh, is something like this. So it's a hybrid. So this is the Palms Jigoro right. uh, Super Slide. So it's it looks like a fast-moving responsive jig, but it's made out of, instead of lead, it's made out of zinc or um, or they call it Z-Lite metal or whatever. Um, so it's very, yep. it's a very light metal. It's uh, So it's still going to uh, cast pretty far but it's going to sink at a much lower pace. And you can see it's also convex right now. One side is convex and the other side is completely flat. And it's, you know, it gives yep. you the best of both worlds. It's going to, you know, jerk back up like a fast-moving responsive jig, but it's going to also flutter really slowly down like a like a slow jig. That's These, I find, are more effective on your pelagics than, um, than a, a slow jig. And... Uh, and I think right. even even uh, even a fast moving jig, I love these ones over the other two because I can work these like a slow jig, and I can work these like like a fast moving responsive jig as well. So they're, they're good all rounder. And th- I think that's about it. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that sounds great. I think uh, we could wrap up the podcast here. Hi, I've had a great time talking about. All these things about shore jigging, shore casting for kingfish, and hopefully the viewers at home, they really enjoyed this one. So, look, uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show, and I'd like to ask you, is there anyone that you'd like to thank? And, of course, let us know how we can contact you. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they, people can get in touch with me. Just give me a message if you have any questions on Instagram. So that's, you know, at hi underscore life so h-a-i underscore l-i-f-e 
or they can find me on YouTube. I, I, I try to do more of an educational uh, type of videos where I teach people how to shore jig. Um, and sometimes I do what Shroom does and, you know, go go to the beach and cast out soft plastics, you know, for fun. Uh, and I record myself doing that as well. So they can find me on YouTube at, um, at High Fishing on YouTube. Um, in terms of, of uh, shouting out in, anyone, uh, I'd love to thank like ISO Fishing Lifestyle. If you have any questions at all uh, on what tackle to buy, you know, what setup to get, you know, don't take, don't just take my word for it. Go to the, their tackle store and ask them. They they know their stuff. You know, they they have all the Japanese brands. So if you really uh, are keen to get involved, you know, give their store a visit and um, they'll help you out. All right, fantastic. All right, ladies and gents. So that concludes another Shroom Live podcast. And I like you guys. If you enjoyed this one, maybe head on over, send Hi a message, tell him you enjoyed it, you know, on his socials. And of course, if any of you guys want to hop on in a future podcast and you have something to share, a conversation to have with me, have a good time for a couple hours, then shoot me a message. But for now, this is Shroom for the Shroom Live podcast, signing out.